it's a fairly windy, wet, cold, miserable day, but I am out walking and I thought that I would at least have a go at recording something, even if I have to record it again. I want to make a case for the advent of the chatbot we've been talking about, OpenAI's chat GPT, representing a real sea change in human history. We've talked about this both on these podcasts and indeed as a species for quite some time. We've talked about the singularity the moment when computers either become much smarter than we are or become aware, conscious, interactive in some deeper way and probably, let's be honest, it will need both for the singularity that we've started to think will happen one day to come about. So my central thesis is that the chatbot represents at least the beginnings on a genie out of the bottle that's not going back principle. In other words, it's it's imperfect, it makes mistakes, there are things it doesn't know and there are things it pretends to know or thinks it knows that it doesn't. And there are serious and important areas where it's just not sufficiently well informed or trained. Okay, so big deal, but that's to be expected at this early stage. My thesis will be that one day this will come to seem a bit like the invention of printing by Gutenberg in the 15th century, which when it was first done was a pretty crude affair And although it was innovative, it just found a smart way to do something that had been happening for a long time. Things like using cuts of wood to mark things using stain or ink had been done before Gutenberg. It was just that he invented the idea of movable type. And as we know, his Gutenberg Bibles weren't all produced on the same frame and some of them have more lines per page than others. So he experimented and of course there's an absolutely unimaginable gulf between those 15th century fumblings with wooden blocks and a modern inkjet or laser printer that can produce massive quantities of printed things or obviously a commercial printing press also. Three deer very close to me have just taken fright, but they're still not very far away. Yes, so a modern printing press can make, or does make, Gutenberg look pathetic. But it was the Gutenberg idea that gave rise to printed materials and especially books. And from that, of course, a new revolution in human history ensued. Before then, we had to copy things by hand. Of course, it was one of the ways that monks, monasteries, made their livings, sometimes to a very beautiful effect. But let's go right back to the beginning.
at some stage spoken language emerged from primeval grunting it's a open speculation and I'm not an anthropologist so I'm not even going to try to join the debate as to quite when that happened but certainly tens of thousands of years ago and so in the very earliest stages something happened maybe to the human brain maybe to human society social organization structure probably both that meant the people communicated instead of living isolated lives or perhaps with close family or not so close a bit like the deer they roamed about they were nomadic no fixed abode they may have lived in caves they may not and well there's an early anthropology enormous interest and complexity to be explored there which I'm not going to do but language is a means of communicating even at the level of as you might say berries over there or something to eat over here or dangerous animal in sight storm coming whatever no doubt the original earliest things were very primitive but they served a purpose provided the person to whom you were speaking understood what he was saying and so human development human evolution took an enormous step when language emerged falteringly no doubt at first the next thing that happened and it's something we shouldn't take for granted is that somebody worked out that if for example we always used a particular grunt to mean danger or food or whatever it might be one of the ways that you could make that more useful was to represent it somehow using marks so for example you might first of all mark a particular sign on a tree that might say I'm told that homeless people vagabonds still do this and have done for centuries saying food over here or sympathetic neighbor over there and it's just a mark that probably nobody else even notices but it stands for something and that's a relationship between something that we a mark that we make and something that it stands for it's something we obviously take completely for granted but we shouldn't it's fascinating to think how that emerged but once it had emerged it spread and from marking things no doubt and soft stuff like wood early civilizations Sumerians I suppose we know but I'm sure it's true Indian and Chinese cultures as well started moving things from fragile media like wood where they could get worn off or chopped down or burnt or whatever to solid media like stones and so some of the earliest records we have of language are marks on either stones or clay tablets 
lumps of rock. And of course, when somebody thought, well, now we can do this, we don't need just to be limited to putting it on things that you can't move, like mountains and rocks and the walls of caves, like the famous paintings that we all know about. You could actually use a piece of wood or a piece of clay and make a mark that you could take with you, or that you could give to somebody else to communicate something you wanted to communicate. And one of the most remarkable and earliest pieces of rock that we have with marks on it not only communicates something but actually has recorded on it something as extraordinary as the first few digits of the square root of two. I think it's called Plimpton 322 or something like that. So, we had primates who became grunters, who became language users, however, primitively. And then they began to make marks, and then they began to move their marks on transferable, transportable media like small pieces of rock and stone and wood. And eventually, of course, when we get to around about the time of the Egyptians, I'm afraid I can't do the dating for cultures in China and India, but I'm sure they did it as well, maybe earlier, who knows. We got the notion that you could transfer things not by scratching permanent marks into rocks, but by using dyes or what came to be called inks, not only to colour the things on your rocks, as with an Egyptian hieroglyphics, but also to use the ink to make marks on specially prepared, soft, light, easily transportable media like papyrus. And from that, of course, we get paper much later. And then the idea comes about, and the revolution is really taking off, that something of sufficient value, and that of course is in itself a very interesting question, what is of sufficient value to make what must then have been an extraordinarily expensive process of making paper, buying ink, transferring it, or buying the skills of a scribe to put it onto the papyrus or paper and the effort involved in learning how to decipher this stuff, not only to make the materials but to write it and read it and so forth. All of this must have had very high economic overhead. So it must have been thought to be terribly important but of course, once it was done, the incentive arose for it to be done more effectively and efficiently and faster and easier and cheaper. And so we move from rocks and papyrus to paper, eventually to medieval manuscripts on beautiful scrolled vellum and all sorts of things. 
people experimented with all kinds of different materials, some of which turned out to be more durable than others. And lo and behold, you get to the 15th century, but it's still true, even though by then an enormous industry had sprung up to produce them, that things were only transmitted even after thousands of years of human history by people copying them out. And as anybody who's studied ancient manuscripts knows, like any human being, they didn't just copy, they copied and made mistakes. Gosh, more dear. So the mistakes that they made had the capacity to change the meaning of the text. And anyone who's ever studied, for example, New Testament scholarship, or, uh, New Testament documents, knows there is what's called an apparatus criticus, which basically looks at all the variants that existed as a result of these, well, sometimes, of course, they were deliberate changes, sometimes they were accidental, Sometimes there would just be gaps that their words would be left out or inserted. And so by the time we get to the 15th century, we were still reliant on an extraordinarily laborious and by extension expensive process. And of course one of the things that went with that was that the economic overheads involved in learning to read and write, not to say to produce the paper or the scroll, the papyrus or the vellum or whatever it might be and the ink, to store it. All of this meant that what we would now call literacy, the ability to read and write, was confined to an extraordinarily tiny proportion of the population. And you can argue it only needed to be with a tiny proportion of the population because the vast majority of people were still occupied in producing food and clothes and the like, and building huts and houses and castles and cathedrals for those that could afford them uh, with their hands. And so when Gutenberg first produced his Bible, as it was, and what an undertaking that was, given the size of it, you give you a measure of how important they thought it must have been, or must have thought it was, perhaps it's a better way of putting it. When Gutenberg did that, the world changed, quite literally the world changed, because something that was valuable in itself and which could be copied suddenly could be copied at enormous speed and in volume although Gutenberg didn't produce all that many of his Bibles simply because of the laborious process and the size of the document and from then on all kinds of changes to printing occurred between the 15th century. Obviously Caxton is the one we remember in English-speaking world, but he, he didn't invent printing. And then later on we get gradual improvements in the techniques, 
and so we get books and lots of books and something like John Napier's original logarithm book Logarithmorum Mirificorum could be published in round about 1600 a bit earlier I think and loads and loads of people could get copies and some of them still exist and I'm enormously privileged to have once been able to hold one in my hand and read it or try and so a different kind of elitism of course largely involved the use of Latin but with people like Wycliffe the English versions of the Bible and other German versions gradually the power of Latin was diminished and therefore with it the single-minded control of things that went with possession of literacy and indeed literacy in the only language that was regarded as authoritative and not much then apart from a cranking of the handle happens until the invention of the computer my great grandfather or my father and his father and his father were all professional printers um, and so I have a sort of family fascination with this whole topic and my father was a linotype operator which involved essentially a typewriter that opened valves that poured liquid lead into moulds and produced plates that could then be put on a printing press so a linotype would produce either lines or plates of text that could be printed all at once a much much faster process of course than using movable type as Gutenberg had done but round about the, father, the time when my father was doing that other people like Alan Turing most notably were gradually inventing the computer and originally they worked of course on rather large cumbersome fragile uh, vacuum tube bulbs and eventually of course we got to transistors and miniaturization and microchips and so from about the middle of the 15th century until the middle of the 20th century sorry I think about that Yes, I do mean this 20th century. the middle of the 20th century not much of a sea change happened even though things got faster and cheaper and more widespread and in the course of that time of course people left the land and moved into factories and offices mostly factories and the demand for literacy increased and with it the demand for printed materials so this thumbnail sketch brings us up to my lifetime Turing died, killed himself sadly a couple of years after I was born had he lived he wouldn't still be alive now but he would certainly have seen and could no doubt contributed to an astonishing eruption of interest in automation and as I said in the other episode things like speech to text 
think one place I talked about text-to-speech, which is also, of course, done, but it wasn't what I meant to say. I only picked that up afterwards. Speech-to-text software, but we could speak to things and have them printed more or less immediately. And I can now do that all on my own in my study. I say something to my computer, I plug it into a printer, and I more or less have a copy straight away. And yes, of course, the internet is another major sea change. But it more, I'm not sure that I, it does at one level represent a sea change. At another level, it just is still a sort of extension of the whole printing. But I do think that Chat GPT, and there will be others, probably does represent a sea change. And it's a sea change of a kind whose consequences are extraordinarily difficult to foresee. Not that there's anything unusual in that. Why? Well, first of all, if Gutenberg made printed materials more widely available, we need to remember that for most people they were completely inaccessible, both in terms of their cost and in terms of the skills, the literacy needed, to access the material that they contained. The vast majority of people couldn't read and write, weren't educated, and so wouldn't have understood these books even if they could have got their hands on them. That became less and less true, although education has faltered at times, but now by and large people do learn to read and write, not universally sadly, but the world has become literate, the world has become numerate. And so the world can access this source of information, or the sources of information that human ingenuity has generated in things like the internet. But now we've got a new kid on the block, and the new kid is AI. And the new kid called AI doesn't just have access to all this information, but can make sense of it and indeed can respond to our questions. And I'd just like to conclude by drawing attention to that factor, because I think it's more significant than perhaps one at first sight imagines. When we type something into a chatbot as a question, we take it completely for granted that it can make sense of it and answer it appropriately. Now that is something that wasn't possible when I was born, was barely possible 20 years ago. Barely possible. Which is one of the reasons why I talked about the speech-to-text thing. But the ability to parse and understand language, not just simplified programmatic language of the kind that we use in Visual Basic and other things where the vocabulary is exceptionally limited and has quite specific and detailed functions. What we're now talking with these language models 
is a software system, a neural net, which through its training and so on can understand more or less ordinary language so that whoever types into the box that asks the question or indeed uses speech to text to dictate a lesson to, to dictate a question that person is making use of a huge amount of technology that has only become possible in the last decade really so that we're now facing a new challenge is beyond doubt We've coped with the others, they've mostly, they've mostly been positive, even though, let me put this as a kind of counterexample to the doomsayers, even though the fact that you can print things easily has meant that all sorts of rubbish, misinformation, fake news, false facts can also be promulgated, propaganda can be promulgated, People can spread lies, deceit, malicious gossip, and indeed invective, using printing, and they do. But the overwhelming impact of it has been positive. It has led to not quite universal, but increasingly universal literacy, increasingly universal numeracy, and a world that is now educated to a level that has never been true before and probably only just getting to the stage when it can possibly hope to deal with the consequences of the emergence of chat, GPT and its cousins. So if the singularity, singularity has not yet quite happened might talk about that next time. It's certainly jolly close. What an extraordinary time to be alive. Thank you for listening.